Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 3 of Escaping Collectivism. This week we will be discussing the train wreck in East Palestine, Ohio, and the continued escalations and ongoing efforts in Ukraine. So to begin with, on February 3rd, a Norfolk Southern train with hazardous materials derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. An undetermined axle problem caused the derailment. Uh, video from about 20 miles prior to the crash showed that the wheel bearings had begun to fail and they were showing sparks and flames were coming out. And a national safety review has so far determined that there was a sensor that went off that alerted the crew to the problem, but they were not able to slow the train fast enough. The alert was too late to stop the impending derailment. On February 6th, government officials under advisement from Norfolk Southern uh, personnel under the approval of both go the governor of Ohio and the governor of Pennsylvania breached multiple tanks and burned them off. There were already other multiple tankers that had uh, burst open and caught fire in the initial crash. And then on February 6th, there was a concern that multiple of the vinyl chloride tankers were going to possibly explode, which could send shrapnel for up to a mile. So residents were evacuated, and then the tankers were breached and burned. On February 8th, the EPA declared that the air was safe to breathe. Uh, so to begin with, when people started coming back, they were having rashes, uh, breathing problems, many, many reports of livestock dead. There are over 40,000 animals that have reported been reportedly died in the stream surrounding it. And the other interesting thing is vinyl chloride, which they breached and burned off. When vinyl chloride is burned, it breaks down into two components, mainly. It breaks into phosgene, which is a gas that would use that was used as a chemical weapon in World War One, and it also breaks down into hydrogen chloride. And when hydrogen chloride is exposed to water and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it creates hydrochloric acid, and this will in turn cause acid rain as it falls to the ground, which will change the pH of the ground. It can possibly cause damage to things, um, and it. It's all around a not good phenomenon. It's been seen multiple times in smog. It, it's something that gets talked about a lot during climate stuff, that acid rain is something we should prevent, and that we are causing this humans by adding these extra things to the atmosphere. So, to continue on with the government response to this horrible, horrible incident, um, well, to begin with, Ohio officials were never notified that the train was going through Ohio and that it was containing hazardous materials because it did not contain enough hazardous materials on it to alert Ohio. This train originated in Illinois and was going through Ohio, so it is interstate travel, and the federal government has jurisdiction on it, and per their regulations, nobody was required to alert Ohio that a train carrying hazardous materials was going through their state. After the crash, when assistance was requested, FEMA denied it. It wasn't until February 17th, 14 days after the initial crash, that FEMA said they would be sending a team to come help. It took our Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, 
10 days to even make a remark about the crash. And after that, he downplayed it, stating, we have thousands of trained derailments every year. This really isn't that big of a concern. And it took him until February 23rd to visit the town. And when he did finally come, he did not really discuss with people. He avoided reporters' questions, which he's been doing the whole time. He just met with a few officials, took some photo ops, and then left. But while he was there, he had to make a point that Trump should have done more because, well, Trump beat him there. Trump showed up on the 22nd. And on the 22nd, Trump met with the people. He brought pallets of food and water and then went to the McDonald's and bought the first responders all their meals and all of the people who were in the restaurant, he bought their meals. And he met with the people who were there and he was welcomed with open arms. But while Pete was there, he had to make a point that if Trump really wanted to do something about it, he should answer for the regulations that were relaxed under his administration, which is correct. Under Trump's administration, there was a deregulation and stopping the enforcement of electronic control pneumatic brakes, or ECP brakes. An important point to note is that under Obama, these were also deregulated, where it was taken from just having to be on all of the cars to just hazardous materials, and then under the Trump administration, they did remove the requirement for it to be on hazardous material cars. There is no hard facts that prove that this would have stopped the incident that occurred on February 3rd. But on top of that, Congress and the Biden administration have been briefed at least twice prior to this incident on the need for these breaks to be brought back, and they have brought no new rules or proposal of new rules forward. So the question becomes, is it really Trump's fault when there's no hard proof and the Biden administration has been briefed on it multiple times and also taken no action. I would hold that they are both equally culpable. If this comes out that it could have been stopped had there been ECP breaks, then both administrations are culpable. But only one administration has shown up. Trump has shown up. So the question begs, where was Biden? Oh, that's right. On President's Day, Biden was in Ukraine, delivering a promise of another $500 million and saying that the U.S. will continue to support Ukraine indefinitely and that it wanted to make sure that on the world stage, everyone knew the U.S.'s support was behind Ukraine. But he hasn't even shown up to East Palestine, Ohio, a town within his own country even 1% of those promised funds would make a huge difference. And before the argument comes out that this is Norfolk Southern's responsibility, it absolutely is. Here's the thing. The EPA is they're running the cleanup efforts, and they're running multiple other efforts, and they are charging all of their hours and all of the cost to Norfolk Southern. So why could the Biden administration not say, we're providing $5 million in aid because we have that liquidity to do it right now? And after that, we're going to be charging Norfolk Southern for every penny of this. They could, but they didn't. They said, instead, we're going to give this $500 million to Ukraine. The war efforts in Ukraine have not slowed. 
they've continued to speed up. Peace talks seem to be going in circles because you have two different countries who are wanting two different things. So you, Russia has four main points that they would like to be recognized for the war to end. For the war to end, and this is uh, from the Independent, Russia has a list of four conditions. Condition one, they want Ukraine to cease all militarization and to change their, to become neutral, to respect that they will be neutral. They want Ukraine to cede the Crimean area that Russia had seized previously prior to this. And they would like for Ukraine to acknowledge the separatist republics of Donetsk and Lugansk as independent states. If they are willing to do this, Russia is saying that they will stop the war efforts immediately. Ukraine, on the other side, has said that the only way there will be peace is that if all troops are removed, they will not cede any ground, and they have gone back and forth on whether or not they will have the ability to join NATO from what it seems like of late. It does seem like Ukraine would be willing to give up the ability to join NATO, which they should never have had in the first place. You, NATO made the agreement after the fall of the uh, Soviet Union and the, destruct and the fall of the Warsaw Pact that it would expand no further. Yet, we've added 13 more nations to NATO since then. So we have not held up our end of that bargain. Russia, Ukraine should never have had the option to join NATO. But Russia's conditions, just to reiterate, are Ukraine will be neutral. They will give, uh, acknowledge that Crimea is a part of the Russian territory. And they will respect the fact that Donetsk and the Lugansk regions are independent states. And if they are willing to do that, Russia is saying they will end the war effort tomorrow. Whether that is true or not, and whether they would follow through in the word, is up to interpretation. But those are the four points that Russia has asked for. Ukraine wants Russia to completely remove itself in the most extreme request. They've wanted Russia completely out, and then they have wanted Russia to pay for the damages. And on top of that, they've also wanted to prosecute Russia for war crimes. Um, they're, what they're willing to stand on has gone back and forth. And the U.S. has been supporting Ukraine's more extreme version of peace and what it's going to take to get there, almost promising that peace is a far it, that peace is far and distant into the future. You know things are not going well when China proposes a better peace plan than either of the parties involved or the US. So China has a 12-point peace plan. Point 1, respecting the sovereignty of all countries. They argue that the United Nations and that everyone else should recognize the sovereignty of each nation, that people should abandon the Cold War mentality, and that we should no longer be creating these block confrontations. They argue that people should be ceasing hostilities. They want all parties to stop, have a ceasefire, and have a discussion. They would like that that leads into point four, resuming of peace talks. 
They would like the humanitarian crisis to be resolved. They would like to provide corridors for uh, people to leave and flee from the cities as they would like. They want to protect civilian and prisoner of war. They would like to promote that. They want keeping of nuclear power plants safe, which has been a huge one, because there was just recently a near miss between a Russian missile and a Ukrainian nuclear facility, which could have caused a huge problem. They would like to reduce strategic risks and have both sides take nuclear weapons off of the table. They want to facilitate grain exports so that Ukraine can provide its grain shipments out to uh, Africa and the Middle East where they're really struggling without being able to accept Ukrainians' grain exports. They would like to stop unilateral sanctions. Quote, China opposes unilateral sanctions unauthorized by the UN Security Council. So they would like for it to go back to where if the United Nations does not agree on sanctions, then one country cannot just impose these sanctions on another. They would like to keep industrial and supply chains stable. They're tired of the disruptment of the supply chain between the countries and the inability of the countries to act and interact in a global economy. And they would like to promote post-conflict reconstruction. Quote, the international community needs to take measures to support post-conflict reconstruction in conflict zones. China stands ready to provide assistance and to play a constructive role in this endeavor. Now, for number 12, China wants that because they, they have been nation-building for a while. They've been providing money, aid, supplies, and workers to increase the infrastructure in these African countries, which has allowed for them to gain access and control large portions of mining operations which fuel, um, for example, electric cars. So China is owns roughly 60% of all the manufacturing for what it takes to build a battery for an electric car, and this is mainly due to the this road initiative that China has enacted. But they're wanting to enact it in Ukraine as well. So besides point 12, which is on the surface a good point, but at the end is a rather selfish one, China has put forward the best proposal for peace in Ukraine. And that is disappointing. There is no reason that we as the U.S. should be encouraging the war to continue when we obviously can't even take care of our own infrastructure at home. We have thousands of train derailments every year, and we don't seem to care about that at all. We have millions of people flowing across our borders illegally. We don't seem to care or want to do anything about that. We have tons of drugs, literal tons of drugs, coming across the border, and we're doing nothing to stop that. But instead, we're going to fund and send all of this money to Ukraine, because even 1% of the recently promised amount would be a huge help to Ohio. And imagine if we put, we have put roughly $50 billion towards Ukraine. Imagine if we put half of that towards reinforcing our border. We could deal with illegal immigration. We could stop the flow of drugs across our border, or at least lessen it. We could secure ourselves as a nation, build back our infrastructure that has been failing, 
Instead of this infrastructure bill that was $1.2 trillion that was just a bunch of pork, and most of it doesn't even go towards infrastructure. But if we took the money we were throwing at Ukraine and pouring down the drain, we could rebuild our country. We could bring jobs back. We could help improve people's lives after all the suffering that has been caused because of COVID and because of the government's reaction to COVID. But instead, we will find another endless war to be a part of. Biden's big goal when he delayed it was he wanted to pull everyone out of, U out of Afghanistan because everyone wanted peace. Everyone was tired of the endless wars. Now, he botched it horribly and surrendered loads of weapons and tech to the Taliban. But people were done with the war. They were ready to be out of the Middle East. They were tired of people dying for no reason. They were tired of U.S. citizens dying. But now it seems that those same people are hell-bent on finding a way to go die in Ukraine. So as we come into this year of primaries, I want every voter and every person to think about what it's going to take to fix the country. What are people bringing to the table? The Republicans already have a mixed bag going forward. We have Vivek Ramaswamy, we have Nikki Haley, and we have, of course, Donald Trump running for presidency. And I think as long as the discussions are civil, these will be very good discussions. You have Vivek, who has a, a background in um, tech and management. He's a self-made individual, a second-generation American. His parents immigrated here from India. You have Nikki Haley, who is the representative of the UN, to the UN for the U.S. under Donald Trump. Um, and during that time, we had some pretty good um, foreign policy that happened under Trump. We had the Abraham Accords that brought the closest thing to peace in the Middle East that we had seen. We were working and having peace dealings with North Korea. Trump crossed over the demilitarized zone into North Korea by himself. But everyone wants to praise Biden for going to the Ukrainian front, which he wasn't in the front, he was in Kyiv. And an interesting tidbit about that is you can find this on CNN. A reporter was talking about the fact that he had been there for five days prior to Biden's arrival. And it wasn't until Biden's arrival that he began to hear air sirens and raid sirens and, and sounds of terror in the city. He'd been there for five days, and they only just started when Biden arrived. Kind of seems like it would be a bit of a photo op. A little bit of press coverage. On the Democrat side, we have undiscussed what's going to happen. I think Biden will run again, and I think Democratic voters need to push back. We need to have two options that are worth listening to. So as we continue through this year, and as the Ukrainian crisis seems to have no end in sight, just remember who's fueling it and who isn't. Remember who's showing up for the American people and who's asking for the American people to get the aid they need. 
and the help they deserve, and who is more worried about problems outside of the borders. Remember, who cares more about other countries' borders than the country that they live in themselves? Because as we move from 2023 into 2024, we will be electing U.S. congressmen, senators, and the president and vice president. And they are supposed to fight for the United States of America, not some global cause. 